Now in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabitants of the earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. And she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in the manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. When the angel had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and to see this thing which has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry, and they found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told to them about the child. And when all who heard it wondered at the things which they were told by the shepherds, but Mary treasured up all those things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, just as it had been told them. And when eight days had passed, before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days for their purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it's written in the law of the Lord, for every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer sacrifice according to what was in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death until he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought the child Jesus to carry out the custom of the law, he took him into his arms 
and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all the people, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Appreciate Rachel reading much of Luke chapter 2. What stands out to me almost immediately is that from the earliest days of Jesus' life, he wasn't even really aware on a human level. We've got shepherds coming in. I've, you know, 41 days into his life, he's being taken into a temple. From the earliest days of his life, people are coming to Jesus in different ways for different reasons, different ages, different jobs, different cultures, outside, inside, in the temple, in the field, in little cities, in the big city of Jerusalem. It's really interesting to me, and I appreciate you reading that, just because hearing the whole chapter gave me a sense there's already people coming to Jesus for a variety of reasons or different backgrounds in their life. As Mary and Joseph enter the temple with their baby son, Simeon's on his own spiritual quest. Unlike the shepherds, which we spoke of last week and you heard about this evening, unlike the shepherds, they're shocked out of their ordinary night, hearing angels and saying, let's go see this child. Totally shocking, totally surprising. But today's verses, at the end of what you heard, Mary, Joseph coming into the temple, seeing Simeon, these are very religious people doing a very religious thing that's also very ordinary clearly taught to them as Jews, when you have your firstborn child, this is what you do. This is the day on which you do it. These are the animals which you, or birds which you bring in. Very clear, very precise, seemingly very religious. There seems to be no surprises in these early verses. The, the shepherds get shocked. These people just tend to do something very ordinary, very predictable. Hundreds of years, maybe even thousands of people have been doing this. Still, these verses offer some very surprising comments. The chief one, I think, I mean, in my mind automatically is drawn, maybe like yours, to say, like, what's going on with Simeon and God that he says, you're not going to die until you've seen my salvation? Like, there's that part of me that just wants to know, like, how do you get there with God? But what really surprises me is trying to figure out what was Simeon awaiting? Scripture says he's awaiting, he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. Let me tell you, Israel needs comfort. That's another meaning. Consolation is not a word I use a lot, but comfort. Israel needs comfort. The people of God need someone to alleviate their grief. These are not the days of King David with great military success and an expanded kingdom and peace on their borders. These are not the days of Abraham with vibrant faith that says, I will leave my homeland and my people and the gods that I've known and I'll move and just follow God into wilderness and we'll see what happens. And this kind of spiritual vitality going on. These are days when they need comfort. The reality of their situation is they're controlled by the Roman government. They pay heavy taxes to the Roman government. They play by the Roman rules. And the Roman government says, listen, if you don't cause too much trouble and you don't take your religion too seriously, you can worship whatever God you want. Just do your thing, but you have to be calm about it. You have to be pretty chill about it and pretty low-key because we don't want a bunch of people messing with the Pax Romana, right? 
We want peace. We want good roads. We want stability. You play by our rules. You pay our taxes. You can worship whatever God you want, however you want. Perhaps because of these kind of rules, maybe despite these kind of rules, everybody in this situation is seeking revelation and revolution. They're wanting change. There are some Jews who are really geared up for revolution. Throw the Romans out. Take Israel back. We want to rule our own country. We don't like this situation. Other people are saying, where is God in all of this? How did we get ourselves into this situation? They feel like there's darkness. Some of you may have heard that the last book of what we call the Old Testament came 400 years before the birth of Christ. So there's this big gap where it just seems like God's not exactly speaking, not exactly relating to them like he has been. Simeon's probably among the many people saying, how could we be in this situation? How could we as God's people fall so far? We've got the Pax Romana, but we're looking for the Prince of Peace, which is promised in the Old Testament. We're looking for hope. We're looking for joy. We're looking for things to be right. And instead, we've got oppression and taxation and rules forced on us. These people had suffered the consequences of their sin. They'd suffered the consequences of other people's sin. And I think even for us today, that's something we can live with. We wake up in the morning saying, I'm I'm living with the problem somebody else created in my life. I can't get rid of it. Every one of these people is seeking revelation and revolution. The Jews wanted a permanent, durable comfort, something that only God could supply. And Simeon had been waiting his entire life, decade after decade after decade of pain and grief and disappointment, saying, where's it going to be? Where's it going to be? Then one day, what to my wondering eyes should appear? A baby boy on the other side of that temple. Temple's a pretty big building, A lot of people milling about. I don't think Simeon saw this coming. I don't think, even though he had this relationship with God that kind of transcends what I experienced, I don't get this, but he got more than I got. Now, literally, the Bible would have said, Simeon would have been reading it, the Bible would say, okay, there's a promise. There's a Messiah coming. There's a son. There's someone who'll sit on the throne of David forever. So there's pieces of this that Simeon could have put together from reading what we call the Old Testament scriptures. He would have figured a lot of things out. He would have had a generally clear idea. But I don't think the Holy Spirit said, look, on Wednesday, you're going to be in the temple. It's going to be around 2 in the afternoon. You're going to say a few prayers, do a few things, and then your head's going to turn, and you think it's nothing, but it's actually me. And over there, you're going to see a baby boy walk in the room in the arms of his mother and his young father who's agreeing to raise him. But that's not just some baby boy. That's my son. That's the virgin birth. That's that thing I promised to you Wednesday, 2 o'clock. Be looking for it, Simeon. That's not how God works typically, at least not with me. God provides the outline, but he fills in the points at his own pace. And so there's waiting all the time in this story. Christ is 41 days old. He was born in Bethlehem, as you know. And I don't think his parents spent the first 41 days like wandering around Jerusalem saying, hey, let's make some new friends. Let's just kind of go up there and hang out with the Jews in the big city and we'll just go around and, you know, do religious things and be in the temple. And like they've got no idea. They're, They're following the rules. They're showing up. They've probably left Bethlehem, gone back to their home, and then they go up to Jerusalem with the birth of their child to present him to the Lord. But they don't know Simeon. They're not working out these details and saying, let's bump into him, let's figure this out. But in the temple, Simeon suddenly sees what he'd long anticipated. 
And don't miss this. The Spirit orchestrates for Simeon what the Scriptures anticipated. The Spirit is working for Simeon to orchestrate his glance across the temple at this baby boy at the same time that Mary and Joseph are just acting on the Scriptures. They're just saying, we've learned from God that he wants us to bring our firstborn and he wants us to offer these birds. And so the Scriptures and the Spirit are working together to bring people into the presence of Christ. Everybody's seeking revelation and revolution. Have you heard the phrase spiritual but not religious? That's usually the way it gets pitched. I hear and I'm told sociologists, demographers, people who study culture around say there's a lot of people now that are spiritual but not religious. I never hear the flip side, by the way. I never get told, have you met so-and-so? They're religious but not spiritual. Like that's like this, I guess that's like a landmine. You just don't talk about that. If those people are like that, you just don't say that about them. But it's okay to say, so-and-so identifies as spiritual but not religious. Or I, I, I connect with God in nature. That's my cathedral. Or I, that's things I heard, you know. Well, this week, I'm, I'm looking at Simeon and I'm saying, I think I see somebody who's spiritual and religious. Somebody who's both because he's in the temple. And I'm looking at Mary and Joseph and I'm going, I think these are people that are spiritual and religious. It's this whole other category. And it's messing with my mojo. Because like I said last week, I'm that two hot dogs a day for lunch guy for four years because that's what I knew the cafeteria had. And I was like, it's high school. I'm just going to eat the food. It's never made me sick. So I'll have two hot dogs a day except for Papa John's on Fridays. And like, I just got my routine and I like it. And then I'm looking at this going, wow, Simeon, spiritual and religious? I didn't think that was a choice. Mary and Joseph, spiritual and religious? I didn't think that was a choice. I thought it was just one or the other. In today's world... Like I said, we think they're spiritual but not religious or religious but not spiritual. There can be judgment, but Simeon's both and faith can mess us up. Mary and Joseph's both and faith messes us up, both spiritual and religious. Simeon's righteous and devout. He's observing the customs and the traditions of Jewish faith. And yet God's working in his life to say, look at the baby Jesus. Look at what's happened right here. Mary and Joseph following the rules, obeying ancient scripture, even to them, like it's really old. It's super old for us, but it's, it was old even to them. They're obeying that. And, they're, and, and Simeon's looking for the consolation of Israel. He's not just going through the motions. He's not just being religious, saying, well, I'm just doing what I'm told. Some old book, unroll the scroll, do, follow the rules. The Holy Spirit is influential in his life. God is talking to him, and he's listening, and he's doing it. And this guy, Simeon, I want his life. I want his faith. I want to be going through the right kind of motions with the right kind of heart, but also saying, wow, the Holy Spirit is talking to me right now, and I'm listening and walking that out. Because we want to go into church and be all religious and all spiritual at the same time. And it's possible. This is the way of God. Not just these three people. Christ, spiritual and religious. Paul, spiritual and religious. David, spiritual and religious. You look at their faith and look at both ends of the spectrum, you realize they were, they were spiritual and religious all throughout the Bible. It's not an either or, it's both and. Now some of us are better at being religious and we're having to learn to be spiritual. Some of us are probably better at being spiritual and we're having to learn to be religious, which doesn't feel comfortable, but stay with me. Some of us stand in a building every Sunday, but we're better at the religious routines. We just gravitate toward habits, Trends, doing the same thing. We like the tradition of it all. And Simeon and David and Paul sought God in a building with other believers on a regular basis. Like they would go regularly. 
Acts chapter 2 talks about it, all kinds of places in the scripture. That's a big part of how it happens. In that case, sometimes these religious routines can, can challenge those of us in that situation to say, am I really having spirit-led intimacy? In other words, spiritual. Am I having intimacy? Am I really connecting with God, not just being on my best behavior? Because you might be more likely to have the spirit, but not necessarily be connecting with him. Now, there's a flip side to this, which is some of us just much more naturally obey God and have a relationship with him and connect with him and walk with him and live with him. But we're not so much into the habits and the traditions and the rules. Are you more likely to have the spirit and not be so much into the obedience to God's instructions? Well, whatever the tendency, everybody's seeking revelation and revolution. But it's only Jesus who gives light and glory. Now, how can you possibly make progress? Because I talk about categories like religious and spiritual, but I mean, like, how can you bring this down? How can you make progress? How can you live? Because some of us, first of all, kind of, kind of, going to kind of run into like an emotional block. I think, especially if I'm like, if I put myself in the shoes of someone who's spiritual but not religious, the whole word religious is just kind of like, it just makes me uncomfortable. Just ick. Like I just, I just don't, I don't like, don't even like. We're just not going to be religious. That's disgust. That just kind of makes me cringe. I was talking to phone, a friend on the phone yesterday. He was like, some parts of he's going to a new church. He was like, it's kind of cringy. Like I don't know what he means. I didn't have time to hear exactly, but it's just cringy. It's like, what are you going to do if that's the feeling you're having and you're saying, I'm, I'm all good with the spiritual part, but that, that religious stuff, it gets cringy. Well, Simeon shows you. He goes as God leads him to the places where other people are who are really seeking. And he realizes those people are following the rules, but God's telling me this is the fulfillment of my promise. This is the place where I belong because this is God's people in God's house. He goes there where God is praised. He has the spirit upon him by faith and he's listening and he's looking for what only God can supply, that kind of consolation, that kind of comfort. Now, there's others who would say, man, religion feels really good. I got my groove. I got my routines. I got, you know, the, the Christian version of two hot dogs a week and like an alarm clock. And I got my system and, you know, I do it all. It's just right. I love my rules. I love it. And how do you grow in being spiritual without losing the religion? Because I think sometimes people hear the phrase, oh, that's spiritual but not religious, and they start to say, oh, that sounds like a slippery slope of just kind of letting go of whatever truth is and just sort of feeling good or something, just sort of some really vague, like, well, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't need that. I just sort of feel close to God today, or I just sort of do what I want to do in the moment, and that's, that's me, and that's God, and we're having a good relationship. How can you progress if that's what you feel like? Well, it's a spectrum, not a box. And Simeon shows us again, go where God is praised. Be with his people who are listening to him and obeying him and following him. And they'll be obeying him because they obey the scriptures. But you'll find out, wow, I'm being religious and I'm obeying the scriptures and they're doing it too. And the spirit is having us both show up at the same moment and we're both looking at Jesus saying, he's here. He came. He's real. You'll have these spiritual encounters you go where God is praised. You have the Spirit upon you by faith, and you look for what only God can supply. Everybody's seeking revelation, but Jesus alone gives such light and glory. Great song says, Come thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. 
From our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee, Israel's strength and consolation. Now, what does consolation mean for us today? I'm going to start helping us think about, and, and we'll, we'll start to wrap up here. What does consolation mean? Because again, this is, I don't go around like saying, hey, how's your consolation? You feeling consoled? Like we tend to say, I'm happy, I'm afraid, I'm angry, I'm good, man, or something, you know, but like nobody says, I'm consoled. I'm consoled. Maybe some of you do. If you do, it's, let me know how you use it. But Luke 2.32 is really how I wanted to answer the question about what does consolation mean. Luke 2.32 gives one answer in two parts. First, verse 32 quotes Simeon as saying, My eyes have seen a light of revelation for Gentiles. You probably know, but Gentiles are anybody who's not a Jew. So Simeon's first answer is, My eyes have seen a light of revelation for Gentiles. Now what's your light of revelation It's another word we never use. We don't go around saying, I feel consoled. We also don't go around saying, hey, how was your weekend? I got a light of revelation. That's bizarre. If you say that, people probably won't know what you mean. So I thought about it some more. In this time, in this place, lights of revelation for us, it's Google. It's, I'm not really sure what that thing is. What's the history of this? Or where did that come from? Or whatever. Google. That's our light of revelation. We just Google it. It gives us revelation. It reveals information to us, and we're like, I got it. We feel the light bulb go off. Hey, you know, we Google it. Another one that's a little, takes a little more work on your part is an evidence-based mindset. We tend to say, I want to see evidence for something. I want to know what's true. Better come from a source, research, or whatever, but show me some proof. I want some proof. Another one is college degree. Just go away to some school, come back. That'll be all kinds of revelation happening at a college degree. Another one doesn't require necess- doesn't necessarily require a lot of work. It's the power of money. I think we have a light of revelation that just says if you have enough money, you can fix things, you can change things. Another one is if you know a lot of people and you have like strong social capital, really close relationships, you can also have a lighter revelation because you just call so-and-so and say, hey, I'm having a problem at my house. Can you come fix it? Or I don't know what to do about this. I know a banker. I'll make a phone call and things get fixed or whatever. You, you know people and things happen for you. These are lights of revelation in our world today. I don't have a clue what the Gentiles around Simeon, like when he said it, I don't know what the Gentiles, I don't know what a lighter revelation for them would have been. Probably some of it like money and who you know would still be one. But Simeon said, Listen, here's what makes life livable. That's how I'm defining light of revelation. What makes your life livable? What gives you the light to see how to live your own life? Simeon said, I'm an eyewitness to the light of revelation for Gentiles. It's not Google. It's not how much money you have. It's not who you know. It's Jesus. My eyes have seen the light of revelation. He knew evidence-based mindset, not going to help you. 5,000 followers on Instagram, not going to help you. A ton of LinkedIn connections, meh. I have seen the light of revelation. It is Jesus. Simeon didn't see any of the things we'd see today, these lights of our revelation. But as Mary and Joseph walked up, he said, My eyes have seen your salvation, a baby he could take in his arms, which had been prepared in the presence of all peoples. That was the light of revelation. And you can't hold that Jesus in your arms, and you can't burst forth in praise, but he can hold you in his arms, and you can still burst forth in praise. You can still say, I'm comforted, I'm consoled, my life has changed. 
the baby Simeon could hold has become the king who can hold you. Would you let him lift you up out of your own life? Would you let him hold you? Would you surrender so he could shepherd you? Here's the second part of what consolation means today. What's your glory? He said the glory, Simeon talked about the glory of Israel. Now this is a little bit easier to figure out maybe. The glory of Israel could have been the exodus when Moses led the people out of Egypt. That was a pretty glorious moment. They go from slaves to conquerors. The Egyptians are like throwing gold and silver and jewels and meat and everything like, get, take, go, go, go. Here's all our riches. Take it and get out. That's pretty glorious. We would like, you know, our jobs are moving from one house to another. We'd love people to be like saying, here, take some gold with you while you go. We'd love that. That sounds glorious. Simeon could have said, well, it was when you crossed the Jordan River and you finally left the slavery behind. You're across the Jordan River. You're in the promised land. He could have said it was, well, it was defeating all the Jewish enemies. It was King David beating all those other armies. It was King David growing the nation as big as it was, security militarily, security economically, providing for a temple. He could have said it was Solomon. He had so much wisdom in the world. He built this huge, beautiful temple. People came to him to ask him hard questions. He was an awesome king. That was glory. But Simeon didn't say those things either. He said, my eyes have seen the salvation, which is this baby that I could hold in my arms. None of those other things. Everybody's seeking revelation and revolution, but Jesus alone brings glory and light. Luke's record of the shepherds, if you'll remember, it ends with this raucous rejoicing. Just these loud shepherds in the middle of the night singing praises, leaving the little town of Bethlehem, making a, just, a, just a total total raucous bunch of singing going on they were keeping the neighbors up but the very same chapter in tonight's scripture sounds so different it's in a temple it's very religious it's very traditional it ends on a note of quiet hope it doesn't seem like Simeon is shouting at anybody at this point I mean he's got a baby in his arms like we generally don't shout with like babies in our arms we generally don't shout in temples or really religious spaces. He's holding a baby in his arms, and I think he's got a voice for that moment saying, My eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. It's a light of revelation to the Gentiles. It's the glory of Israel. The shepherds had a reason to sing. Simeon had a reason to sing too. For unto us a Savior is born. And I invite you to start to find your voice for this moment. For unto us, a Savior is born. We're going to sing Silent Night. And as we do, I invite you to think about the fact that everybody's singing, everybody's seeking, everybody's wanting revelation and revolution, and the candles are getting brighter and brighter. But it's Jesus alone who gives such light and glory. We're going to gradually light candles. And as they, as they go throughout this room, it's a visible symbol of an invisible reality, the light of the world. We are being spiritual and religious right now together. The light of the world has come. The light of the world will come. You'll remember that I said that Advent has to do with Christ's coming, that he came as a baby and he will come again as king. And you can ask Christ to be your light you can ask Christ to be your glory even now. Whichever term resonates with you or both, this is an opportunity while you sing to say, I could use some light. I could use some glory. 
and the Christ child came to give that. You should have a candle from when you came in. If you don't, there are more in the back. You're welcome to take one. I'm going to light my candle first and then gradually walk around as we begin to sing Silent Night. This is an opportunity to worship him, but also to let your heart be full of the light and the love of Christ who gave himself for you. He is the light of the world.